0: Good morning. My name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor here at Timber Ridge Church. On behalf of our church family, I want to welcome you uh, this morning. We're so honored uh, that you are here. Remember the Titans is one of my favorite movies. If you haven't seen it, that's where the, the clip was from. One of my favorite movies, and, uh, and that quote is so powerful and, and so timely for the world in which we live. If we don't come together, we too will be destroyed just like they were. What a timely message. For the culture in which we live, and what a, what a prophetic message for for the culture in which we live this morning. I I want to share with you uh, just from my heart and from God's word a message called "On Earth as It Is in Heaven," and and we're going to talk about the race issue uh, in our country. We're going to talk about the racism uh, that is still prevalent in our country today. and And you might be here this morning and go, man, I. I don't, I don't want to talk about race. I came to church to talk about Jesus. I want to hear about Jesus, uh, not about race issues that are going on in our country. And I just want to be crystal clear this morning. Uh, when it comes to the issue of race, it is an issue of Jesus. It's an issue of following Jesus because when we make the decision to follow Jesus, we make the decision to lay down our own life and our own agenda and to allow Jesus to transform the way we think and the way we live and the way we act in every single aspect and area of our lives. And we make the decision to allow Jesus and his kingdom to be present in every aspect of our life. And so if you have a Bible this morning, open it up to Acts chapter one. Acts is in the New Testament part of the Bible. If you're new to church or new to the Bible, the Bible is divided up into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is a record of the history and movement of God before the coming of his son Jesus into the world. And everything in the Old Testament points forward that one day God will send a rescuer to rescue people from their sins. And that's the story of the New Testament. It's the story of the rescuer of the Messiah of the Son of God. His name is Jesus. The New Testament records his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and the beginnings of his early church. Acts is in the New Testament, and that's where we're going to start this morning. Uh, You can follow along on the screen behind me. If you don't have a Bible, let's jump right in. Here's what uh, Jesus said in the book of Acts. This is a quote from Jesus. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus, one of the last things he tells to his followers is, you will be my witnesses. You will be witnesses for the kingdom of God to all people, to all nations, to all tribes, to all tongues, to the very end of the earth. And when we read that and we get that here at Timbridge Church, we love people. We want people uh, to to come into a place where they're welcomed and wanted. We want people to experience the life-changing power of Jesus and the hope and the love that he offers. And so we get that, but what we may not understand is that as Jesus was saying that, that you'll be my witnesses to every tongue and every tribe and every nation that was actually teaching us how to live out the kingdom of God. Because if you go back just a few verses to Acts chapter 1, verse 3, uh, it, the Bible says this, during the 40 days after he suffered and died, so, so Jesus has been crucified, he's come back to life, after the four, during the 40 days after he suffered and died, before he ascended into heaven, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God, Of God. He was teaching them what it meant to live out the kingdom of God on earth so that they would have credibility as His witnesses to all people. In fact, Jesus was all about the kingdom of God. If you go back and read the teachings of Jesus that are found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, you will find uh, that Jesus consistently talked about the kingdom of God. He consistently proclaimed the kingdom of God. He was always teaching people about the kingdom of God. Even when the disciples said, Jesus, teach us to pray. Show us how to pray. Here's what Jesus taught them in Matthew chapter 6 verse 9 and 10. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when it comes to the topic of race, what does it look like for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven? What does it look like with, in our current culture and the race issues that we are, we are experiencing? What does it look like For the kingdom of God to be lived out. Three kingdom characteristics revealed by race is is what we want to look at this morning. Or three things that happen when the kingdom of God is present in our lives. The first one is this. The majority take a responsibility to give the minority a voice. When the kingdom of God is present in our lives, the majority will take a responsibility to make sure that the minority has a voice. So, so Jesus is teaching the people about the kingdom of God. He, he's teaching people of what it means to live out the kingdom of God. And you fast forward just a couple chapters in the book of Acts, you get to Acts chapter six, and Jesus is telling these folks how to live out the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden there's a race issue in the church. Did you know that the race issue has always been present in the church? That from the beginning of the church's existence, there's always been issues of dealing with race. In Acts chapter 6, this is what we find. Acts chapter 6 verse 1. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, the church is blowing up, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 called a meeting of all believers. They said, We apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea and they chose the following men Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven men were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. The race issue is not something new. The church has been struggling for trying to to figure this out for, for, for centuries. But when you're living out the kingdom of God, you have to understand that these things will come up. If you want to live in a nice little church bubble where everyone looks like you and thinks like you and talks like you and believes like you and votes like you, if you want to live in that nice little church bubble, then these issues will never come up. And you can just surround yourself by people who look just like you, cookie cutters of you, and this will never come up. But if you want to live out the kingdom of God present in the culture in which God has placed you, you got to learn to deal with these issues. Because when you live out the kingdom of God, you live it out in a world that is diverse and different. Because when you live out the kingdom, you don't live in a nice little bubble. You live in this thing called the world where people are different and people are diverse. And so here's what's happening in this passage. The the church is beginning to grow. It's beginning to rapidly multiply. And now it's not just the Jews. Now it's not just the Hebrews. Now they're reaching new races. Now they're reaching new people groups. Now the Greeks are involved in this thing too. And an issue pops up in the church where the Greek widows are not being taken care of as well as the Hebrew widows. It's an issue of discrimination. It's an issue of prejudice. And so feeling, a feeling of prejudice was felt by the minority, by the Greeks. And look at how the church responds. Look at how the church responds to discrimination and prejudice. The words of Jesus, to go and be witnesses and to live out the kingdom of God were fresh in their minds. And so how do they respond? They appoint seven men to make sure that all the widows, both Greek and Hebrew, were taken care of. But look at the seven names. Stephen, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. Not one Hebrew name in the group. All seven names, names of the minority. All seven names, Greek names. Not one Hebrew man appointed to lead the group. Why? Because when the kingdom of God is present, the majority makes a statement by taking responsibility to make sure that the voice and the rights of the minority is heard. And in this act of courage and in this act of unity, it showed that the majority had had faith and had trust in standing with the minority. It showed there was trust. And because the Greek widows were the ones who had been uh, discriminated against by putting Greek people in charge, it also made sure that no widows would be discriminated against. Because if you've experienced discrimination, you don't want anybody else to experience it. And so it showed that the widow Would be taken care of. And you know what that's called? It's called justice. It's called justice. And the strength of a nation, and the strength of an organization, and the strength of an institution, and the strength of a church is seen in how the minority is treated and whether or not their voice is lost. The majority has a responsibility to make sure that the minority's voice is not lost. And as believers, especially white believers, We have to come to a point where we say that over the last 400 years, there has been injustice in our country. Not everything has been fair. Not everything has been equal. Not everything has been right. And we have to come to a point where as the majority, we admit that things have been wrong. And things have been unfair, and there has been injustice in our culture, and in our communities, and in our countries. And 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 as the majority, we can say, you know what? We we as a church, we support police, and we've said that, and we've prayed for police, and we take food to police, and we 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 man, we support the police here. We pray for the police. We stand with the police. Listen, you couldn't pay me enough money to be a police officer in today's culture. It's just crazy. And our local police do such a great job of of serving our, our city. And we can say that. And we can also say, and I can also say, that as a white pastor leading a majority white church, that I can stand with my brothers and sisters who are African American. And I can say that there has been injustice done in our country and that things have not always been right. And those two don't cancel each other out. Why? Because the majority has a responsibility to make sure the voice of the minority is heard. And when the kingdom is present, that happens. When the kingdom is present, the minority has a voice that can be heard. And the kingdom of God and the message of Jesus is that we will all come up short. We will all blow it. We will all sin. We will all make mistakes. We will all do things we regret. And it's one thing to say that and know that the cross of Jesus is the great equalizer. So when I when I fall short, then, then that's good for me. And Jesus' Jesus's cross is the great equalizer for me. It's one thing to to claim that and receive that it's another thing to give it out to people who are different than us to say that even in the midst of struggles and even in the midst of disagreements and even in the midst of, uh, of 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 not understanding things the cross is the great equalizer even for people who are different than me because here's the truth following jesus and living out the kingdom of god means laying down your worldly rights and picking up your kingdom responsibilities It means laying down your rights to the majority rules thinking. You know where the majority rules? The majority rules on the junior high playground. That's where the majority rules. Who wants to relive that, right? Like that's where the majority rules. In the kingdom of God, the majority doesn't rule. The majority has a responsibility to make sure that the minority has a voice. Life's different in the kingdom, Life's different in the kingdom. It means laying down your rights to your political or cultural views and picking up the responsibility of approaching the world through a kingdom perspective because where the kingdom is present, the majority takes a responsibility to give the minority a voice. Second thing that happens where the kingdom is present, the, 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 the other thing, the second thing that happens when the, when the kingdom of God is present is there is unity amidst diversity. There is unity amidst Diversity In Galatians chapter 3 in the Bible, Paul, this follower of Jesus, is writing. He's giving instructions uh, to, to this church that is very racially divided and very multi-ethnic, this church in Galatia. And he says this, you're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been unified with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free man male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Paul is is teaching the church here that that in Jesus Christ, we're all one. In Jesus Christ, we all have unity. We're united as one. And that's the same message that Jesus preached. It's the same message that Jesus prayed for. If you go back and look at Jesus' last days on earth as he's praying to God, he, he prays this, I pray that they will, in John chapter 17, verse 21, he prays, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am them and you are in me. And listen to what Jesus prays. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Jesus is praying to to the Father, and he says, Father, help my followers to be unified. Help them to live as a family. Help them to live in unity. Why? So that the lost and broken and hurting world might know that Jesus is Lord. Jesus knew that our unity would prove his reality. That, that if we can't get along in the church as followers of Jesus, if we can't learn to love one another despite our diversity, then we're no different from the world. And what we have to offer, they don't want. If we have the same fights and the same struggles and we can't love one another and we can't get along with one another in the church, then why would the world want anything to do with the message of Jesus? Jesus knew that our unity across racial lines, that our unity would, would give validity to his reality. Because when people who are different and diverse and unique can come together and be transformed by God's love, and love one another in the midst of our diversity, then the proof is in the pudding that Jesus is Lord. That's the evidence of the reality of the life-changing love of Jesus, that we can be different and we can be diverse and we can still be one. One, one you, unified as one, one family. And you may look around the room today and you may say, well, I didn't, I didn't pick so-and-so to be in my family. They probably didn't pick you either we got to learn to get along, and we got to learn to be united as one. Why? Because you can be different. You can be diverse and not be divided. The goal is not for us to agree on everything. We never will. The goal is not for us to all be the same. How boring would that be? The goal is for every single person to feel loved and valued and welcomed and wanted and accepted and celebrated in the kingdom of God. That's the goal unity amidst diversity. Uh, my son is in first grade. Last year he was a kindergartner, and there was a kind of a spot in there in kindergarten through. Definitely no fault of the school or anything like that. He was just having some, some some sad days. What we realized is I was traveling a lot, and his dad was gone doing church planning stuff, and he was new to this whole school thing, and, and uh, you know, it, it just somebody could say something to him on the playground, and he would come home crying. Or, or somebody could, you know, say something to him at lunch, and he would just be brokenhearted about it. And so there was this time where, where he was just really struggling. And so we realized as a family that what I needed to do is I needed to spend more more one-on-one time with him that we needed to dial the traveling schedule back and i needed to spend one-on-one time with hayden because hayden was the one in our family who was hurting now no one thinks when i say that no one thinks oh well then then you just don't care about hadley and johanna hadley's my daughter johanna's my wife for those of you who don't know you just don't care about the rest of your family because you're focusing on this one family member who's hurting now that doesn't make sense None of us think that. None of us would say, oh, you just neglected the rest of your family to focus on the one that's hurting. Why? Because that's what families do we know that that's what families do and when we make sure the one who's hurting receives the hope they need we're acting as a family when we go out when, when a family goes out of its way to make sure that whoever it is that's hurting whoever it is that's suffering through injustice is giving the hope they need to deal with the hurt we go that's what families do may it be so in the kingdom of god Maybe so in this church that we would go out of our way to make sure that the ones who are hurting have the hope that they need because in Jesus Christ, we are one family. In Jesus Christ, what hurts my brothers and sisters ought to hurt me. In Jesus, what causes pain for my brothers and sisters ought to cause pain for me. In Jesus, what makes my brothers and sisters mourn ought to make me mourn. And if we would just learn to practice what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, where Paul says, mourn with those who mourn. If we would just learn to do that, we would heal the race problem in our country. If we would just learn to mourn with those who mourn, when someone gets shot and someone gets killed, we wouldn't say, well, let's get all the facts. How about somebody just died, let's mourn. Whether it's a cop or whether it's an African-American male, can we not just mourn that someone just got shot and killed? What if we just mourned with those who mourned? What if we just hurt with those who hurt? What if we just were in pain? for those who experience pain. If we practice that, we would have unity amidst diversity. We would live out the kingdom of God in the midst of racial tension in our country. If we just mourned with those who mourn. And then if we're consistently living out the kingdom of God, the last thing that happens is radical love is shown. When we live out the kingdom of God, radical love is shown. When uh. When we live out the kingdom of God, we learn how to love people radically. You see, here's the question of the kingdom of God. How far are you willing to love? That's the question of the kingdom of God. How far are you, as a follower of Jesus, willing to love? Will you love people when you don't agree with what they stand for? Will you love people when you don't understand Someone, will you love people when culture and the media says you should be divided? Will you love others in such a way that even though you disagree, you still really love them, radically love them? Will you love people to the point where you take the butt out? Here's what I mean by that. When we first got married, Johanna and I have been married for 11 years. When we first got married, she taught me this principle that she's a, she's, her love language is words of affirmation. So what you say matters. And she taught me this principle that when you use the word but in a sentence, you erase everything that you've said previously. Maybe your mind is blown as much as mine was, but this was news to me. And so I would come home and she would get off work early and I'd come home late for work and she'd have dinner made and it would be fantastic. And I would say something very stupid like, babe, that that dinner was fantastic, but those mashed potatoes were a little lumpy. Not good marriage advice, okay, folks. If you're if you're new if you're thinking if you're newlywed or thinking about getting married, don't say that, okay? Because what you do is you just erase everything you just said. Or I would be preaching at a youth retreat or a youth camp, and I would come home, and she would have spent all weekend cleaning up our house, and she would say, hey, "What do you think about the house?" I'd be like, Man, "It looks amazing, but why is that stuff piled over there in the corner of the living room?" Not smart. Why? Because it erases everything that you just said. So to say, "Well, I love people of other races." It just makes me uncomfortable when they You just erased everything you just said. That's not radical love. Or, or, or to say, well, "Well, well I love I love everyone regardless of the color of their skin, but I just wish they would." You've just erased everything. You see, here's what radical love does. Radical love is loving people regardless of the but But I don't agree, it doesn't matter, love love people anyway. But I don't understand, it doesn't matter, love people anyway. But it just doesn't make sense, I don't care, just love people anyway. That's what Jesus did. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16 through 18, the Bible says this, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. Where, Where there is peace, there is the kingdom of God. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. Here's why race is a Jesus issue. Here's why the racial issue is a Jesus issue. He united Jews and Gentiles, two races, into one people when in his own body on the cross, through the cross, by dying on the cross, Jesus broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. So where a wall of racial hostility exists, the cross is absent. But where the cross of Jesus is, the wall of racial hostility is being broken down. That's what it means to live out the kingdom of of God. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Paul says this, that the radical love that Jesus showed us on the cross is the same kind of radical love that we have to display in order to tear down the hostility that separates us. That it's radical love that tears down racial barriers. It's radical love that destroys Racism. It's radical love that allows us to live as one people, one family, united by the love and cross of Jesus and the kingdom of God, regardless of what the tone of our skin may be. Only radical love will allow us to live in that way. And in every generation, and in every decade, and in every church, the message of Jesus is redefined by who's in and who's out. Every generation. Every decade in every church, the message of the gospel of Jesus and the kingdom of God is defined by who's in and who's out, by how far we're willing to love. And the gospel of Jesus is being defined in this generation by the issue of race and people who are lost and hurting and seeing the gospel defined by how we as followers of Jesus radically love one another amidst our differences. A lost and hurting world is looking at the church and going, "Do they have any answers for this? Do they have, are they any more different than we are? How are they loving one another? And we are defining what it means to love God and to love others by how we are responding to this issue. And that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Radical love is what got Jesus in trouble time and time again. Jesus loved the prostitute, got in trouble. Jesus loved the drunk, got in trouble. Jesus loved the half-breed Samaritan, got in trouble. Time and time again, it's radical love that got Jesus in trouble. In fact, if you follow the life of Jesus, guess what put him on the cross? Radical love. Radical love is what put Jesus on the cross. It does not mean it will be easy, but to live out the kingdom of God means that we address the issue and it will be right. Just because it's not easy doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do. And as a church, it's one thing for us to say that the love of God and the gospel is for all people and go halfway around the world and serve globally in Vietnam. It's one thing for us to say, the the gospel of Jesus and the love of God is for all people. So we're going to plant ethnically diverse churches. I want to show you a picture of our church planners from this year. These are church plants that we currently coach or... um, currently fund, and you will see uh, just a a rainbow of multi-ethnicity up there. You've got Caucasian guys, you've got Hispanic guys, you've got African-American guys, you've got Vietnamese guys. Uh, This guy here in the corner on the bottom, his name is Mike Seaman. Uh, He's like Caucasian, Lao, and Thai, Thai all in one. He's like a multi-ethnic walking machine is what he is. It's one thing for us to say we'll plant churches for every race and every nation, it's one thing for us to say we'll go halfway around the world and love people who are different than us. It's one thing for us to be a growing church with a majority population that, that, that looks just, just like our community might look majority-wise, but it's quite another thing for every single one of us in our church to walk across the street and love someone who is a different color than we are. And that's what radical love does. And the issue of race... And where we as followers of Jesus stand on this issue will be the defining factor for the church of this generation. 20 years from now, my kids will be adults. And we will sit down and we'll have conversations of what it was like when they grew up. I have a seven-year-old and a three-year-old. And history will say that in 2015 and 2016 and 2017, that there was an enormous racial divide in our country. And they will ask me, Dad, you pastored a church during that time. What did, what did your church do to help with the issue? And I will not look at my kids and say, We did nothing. We remain silent. It's an unacceptable answer for the kingdom of God. Because where the kingdom of God is, people of every tribe and every nation and every color of skin are welcomed and wanted and celebrated in the church of Jesus. Here's the question, folks, this morning. Do we really believe those songs we sang as little kids? Those, those songs that they go like this, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world and the hardworking cop of the world and the young African-American male of the world and the Muslim refugee of the world. Do we really believe that Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood for every nation and tribe and color in this world, that Jesus really does love all his created kids? Only radical love shown by followers of Jesus willing to live out the kingdom of God proves to a lost and hurting world that that's true. And so what do we do about it? I want to give you three things real quick that you can do this week to put this into practice. Number one, how do we do this? Number one, we love. We love. Like radical, practical, do something about it love. This issue won't be solved by talking about it and getting around and having conferences and thinking about it. We've got to do something. So what's one thing that you could do this week to show radical love to someone who doesn't look like you? To show radical love to someone who's different than you. We've got to love people. The second thing we do is we've got to listen. We've we've got to learn to listen. We cannot love each other if we're not willing to listen to each other. We have to listen. and, And not just to listen in order to respond so that we can get our side out there. If you want to do that, just go read Facebook. Everybody's doing that, right? Social media. Everybody's just listening so I can fire off my statistics and my quotes and show my video. But really, listen in order to hear, to hear the hurt and pain that people in our culture are dealing with, to hear the injustice that people are facing. Because here's the deal if we do not listen, we cannot learn. And if we do not learn, we cannot grow. And if we do not grow, our nation is destined to pass down this same struggle to our children. And it's simply unacceptable. It cannot be passed from generation to generation anymore. You've got to learn got to listen. And the last thing is this, we, we've got to do life together. We've got to do life together. Over the past three, almost four years, I've, I've learned a ton about what it means to, to live as a minority in this country from some friends that care deeply about me. Uh, some some African-American church planners who uh, I'm, I'm friends with and who we're connected with have taught me about what it means to be a male and a father and a dad in that culture. And here's what's happened. As we've done life together, and these, they're my brothers, they're my friends, as we've done life together, uh, I've learned because they've let me ask some ignorant questions. I've put my foot in my mouth a time or a thousand. Um, they've let me ask some questions that, 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 that they would say to me later, hey, don't ask that question again in front of everybody else. That's foolish. But they would let me learn because we were doing life together. I don't know if you know this about me, but I didn't grow up in an African-American home. Um, I grew up in a white home. I didn't grow up in a Hispanic home. I didn't grow up in an Asian home. And so there are times where we have to do life together so that we can learn from one another, so that we can have a shift in perspective. And maybe the way that I've thought about everything my whole life could use some adjustment when it comes to the kingdom of God. We've got to do life together. Only when we do life together do we begin to look past the labels and the colors and see people for who they really are. So, so what can you do this week to walk through life together with someone who's different from you? Here's why we've got to get this right. You go back to Acts 6 where there was this issue of discrimination and prejudice in the church, and they dealt with it. And when they dealt with it, look what happens in the very next verse in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. The Bible says, so God's message continued to spread. And the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. And many of the Jewish priests were converted to when the church displays racial unity and radical love across racial lines, the kingdom of God grows. And that's a matter of eternal life and death for a lost and hurting world. That's why Jesus taught us to pray this way in Matthew 6. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think it would be appropriate and honoring of Jesus that when it comes to the topic of race in our current culture, we learn to pray like this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in Stephenville as it is in heaven. Let's pray together.